Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is going on, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 72 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and it will just be you and I today because the schedule is jam-packed. We are recording this on Thursday, May 12th. The Rangers just won Game 5 at Madison Square Garden. I'm scrambling to get to practice, have to leave in about a half hour, so we're trying to squeeze this in and be as efficient as possible. It's just going to be you and I today because there's just way too much going on. Got to get to Pittsburgh, got to go to practice, got to write a story, got got a lot of things on the to-do list today, but I did want to make sure that I hopped on, talked to you guys because it's been a week, recapped everything that's gone on in the series so far, and then at the end we'll take some of your Twitter questions. And and trust me, even though it's just you and I, there's going to be a whole lot for us to discuss. And for starters, I have to tell you, I'm very glad that I decided to record this after Game 5 instead of before Game 5. I told you guys last week, since we usually release on a Thursday morning, that was going to be complicated because Game 4 was scheduled for Wednesday night. So the option was release a day early or release a day late. And I ultimately decided to release it a day late. And again, I'm glad I did because if we would have recorded this after game four, it would have been all doom and gloom. The Rangers were down three to one in the series at that point. They were coming off of what was really an embarrassing performance for them in game four. Gerard Gallant, I'm sure all of you heard it by now, called them soft in that game. It was a complete no-show effort from the Rangers. The the headline, of course, was Igor Shosturkin getting pulled for the second game in a row. He did not finish either game in Pittsburgh, which we're going to have to talk about that at length at some point in the show for sure. But the overall effort in game four, the team rallied back in game three and actually made it close and had a chance to win at the end. Game four was a totally different story. They fell flat. They, they. I, I don't know if I want to say gave up, but it was, it was a very lackluster effort from the team from start to finish. The defensive breakdowns have been glaring. The forecheck that we saw in Game One, and I know gave Rangers fans a lot of hope. To me, that was probably the best this team looked the whole series was that first period of Game One, and they have not quite been able to duplicate that fast, aggressive forecheck since then. And we're still looking for that. There are reasons for hope in Game 5 that we're going to talk about, but I still think the Rangers, for the most part, have been far too inconsistent in this series, and that's why they find themselves in this 3-2 hole. But all of the problems were exemplified in Game 4. A total, total collapse from them in that game. And then they come back to Madison Square Garden for Game 5, and you could feel the nervous energy, the tension in Madison Square Garden. The place was rocking for games one and two. 
It was not like that for Game 5, even before the game started. When the team came onto the ice for the anthem and all that, for the first couple games, that place was bonkers. But for this game, it just wasn't as loud. There were some empty seats. It just felt like everybody was on edge. And as the game went on, and Jake Gensel scores a goal that kind of his follows his own rebound behind the net and then banks it in off Igor's left pad. Definitely not a great sequence there for Igor, who, truth be told, well, the Rangers came out with a win, uh, did not look his sharpest in Game 5. There were other reasons that we'll get to why the Rangers were able to win that game. But Gensel puts the Penguins up one nothing, and then the Penguins get a goal early in the second period from Chris Letang off an odd man rush that makes it 2 to nothing. And at that point, as the second period is going on and we get past the halfway point of the game and the Penguins are winning 2 to nothing, it felt like everybody in that building, and I'm sure everybody at home because I saw it on Twitter, was anticipating the worst, was feeling like the Rangers season was about to come to an end. And all of a sudden, it's amazing where these little sparks will come from. For me, the moment where all of a sudden my antenna went up was you see Sidney Crosby leaving the ice. And I have to be honest, I saw the hit between him and Truba, but it did not look like a major collision to me at the time as you got a million other things going on. And I'm already starting to write down notes for what my story at that point was going to be, which it turned out to be a much different story. I was I was wasting my own time at that point. But It didn't strike me as a play where I thought Crosby got injured, so I didn't really think twice about it in the moment. But then a few minutes later, you notice Crosby heading to the locker room. There was about six and a half minutes left in the second period at that point. And so you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. Then, within a matter of minutes, Adam Fox, just dancing with the puck a little bit up near the blue line, inches his way a little bit closer and flicks a wrister in the direction of the Penguins' goal, and lo and behold, it goes in. Coming into the game, the Rangers repeatedly talked about, we need to get more pucks to the net. We need to test Louis Domingue, the third string goalie for the Penguins that you guys have heard so much about throughout the course of this series, especially in game four. They let him off the hook way too easy. So game five, the emphasis was whether it's a high danger chance, whether it's a pretty play, whether it's an ugly play, get pucks to the net. And Fox did that, as did others in this game who we're going to talk about. And now all of a sudden it's two to one. Then bang, bang, within a matter of two minutes and 42 seconds, Alexi Lafreniere ties the game at 2-2. And that is when the building really erupted. And and you got to give Capo Caco a lot of credit for that play as well. He had a couple instances in this game five where he was able to control the puck, take it behind the net on his own, buy some time, let his teammates get open, and he's able to make the right pass. He's really, really skilled in those situations, and that definitely showed up in a big way for the Rangers in Game 5. Lafreniere scores the goal on the one-timer, and then he went absolutely nuts. I was laughing because he jumped into the boards because he was so excited, and there was a fan who was standing there banging on the boards too, and he actually knocked the fan back, it looked like, with his own excitement. So, So that was pretty funny to watch. And then... Very shortly after that, you get the tying goal from the Rangers. Jacob Truba, really probably the most skilled play he's made all all series, and he's a guy who needed to step up for the Rangers as well in this game. He gets into the slot, finishes with the backhand, and all of a sudden the Rangers have a 3-2 lead. 
and the building was shaking at that point. So it was so quick. It, it went from, I feel like 90 plus percent of the people in that building were like, okay, the season's over. And then all of a sudden, in less than three minutes, the entire complexion of this series was changed. It just goes to show, we've seen this several times in the series, whether they come back and win, whether they come back and tie, whether they blow a lead, you you just can never say never with this team. There is this it factor, this resilience. Now, will it be enough to will them back in a series where they, quite frankly, haven't played well enough to win it so far? That is to be determined. But one thing I will tell you guys is don't go turning off your TVs in the second period because this team always seems to find a way to at least keep it interesting. They might not always win, but they at least keep it interesting. And then, of course, they continue to keep it interesting after that Truba goal because the Penguins, off of another breakdown from the Rangers, get another goal from Gensel, who has absolutely been a thorn in the Rangers' side throughout this series. He's got seven goals through five games, and then it's 3-3 going into the third period. The jitters, the excitement, the butterflies... All that is going on for everybody watching, everybody in the building, even me up there. I'm just, it's just my eyes are probably wide open. I had gone from starting to write this story about the end of the season to now all of a sudden I'm going to shift and and it was just all over the place. And then of course, in that third period, the Rangers get some power play opportunities and we know there's been complaints from people about the Rangers not getting enough of those in this series, but they've actually gotten a handful of in the last few games, some of them on calls that I didn't even think were that strong. I'm not going to go too deep into the officiating because I think it's silly. Both sides complain. The refs are far from perfect. They make a lot of mistakes out there, but they mess things up for both teams. So I'm not going to get into complaining about the officiating here. But the Rangers got some power play opportunities in the third period of game five. And the first power play unit did not get the job done. It wasn't until the second unit came out. And even then, the second unit really wasn't controlling the puck very well either. It's kind of a broken play where the puck is bouncing around and it just happens to end up on the stick of Philip Heedle, who then finishes for the goal to give the Rangers the 4-3 lead, which they were able to hold on and secure the win and send this series back to Pittsburgh. And I have to tell you, that moment, seeing Heedle score that goal, on top of all of the things that that kid line with Heedle, Lafreniere and Kako has done in this series, it just felt so fitting. Heedle, I thought, had his best press conference of his career. Now, I mean, who's keeping track of that? I'm sure only reporters are keeping track of that kind of stuff. But he, surprisingly to me in some ways, was the guy that the Rangers selected to come out and talk to the media prior to the game. Now, this is something they don't do in the regular season. On game days in the regular season, you talk to Gallant before the game, and that's it. Unless there's a morning skate. If they have a morning skate, you usually get a player. But in this instance, there was no morning skate. And we all just went to Madison Square Garden late afternoon. And in the playoffs, the Rangers, on the days they don't do a skate, they say they've been sending out one player before Gallant speaks. And they chose Heedle. And I thought that he was the most impressive that I've seen him as far as delivering the right message as far as saying all the right things, as far as being accountable, talking about the play of his line with stressing that, you know, listen, we've had some good shifts, but we've also had some bad ones. We need to be better, even though to me, they've been the Rangers' best line in this series. And then the the most prophetic thing that he said was stressing the need to get more shots at Domingue. And 
talking about we're one of the teams in the league that loves that extra pass, but we can't keep doing that. We need to shift out of that mode. And I thought he said it in stronger terms than honestly we've heard from any of the veterans. We've heard the veterans talk about shooting more pucks, don't get me wrong. But I thought Heedle was really locked in and focused. And it it said to me, I, I, I thought this before the game, I tweeted it. It said to me that this message from Gallant about playing simpler, about getting more pucks to the net, about driving into those dirty areas, winning the one-on-one battles, you heard Philip Heedle and the young guys really stressing that message. And it just told me that it was getting through to them, that those guys were taking it to heart. And I thought sticking to the system in a lot of ways better than some of the veteran guys are so far in this series. And then it it turns out Lafreniere has the tying goal and Heedle has the winning goal. And, And that line, again, to me, in this series has been the Rangers' best. And that is crazy to say. I'll I'll raise my hand right now and admit it. You guys heard me on this podcast when Kako was hurt and getting ready to come back, raising questions about whether I thought the Rangers should go with the kid line in the playoffs. I d- thought it was too redundant. I thought that there was a chance that it might not work. We had seen it fail in the past. And so I had questions, as I know a lot of you did as well, about whether or not that was the best route for the Rangers to go in the playoffs. I told you guys at that time that I would have considered dispersing them a little bit more and mixing in veterans to create more balance in the top nine. My, my primary concern was that grouping the kids together on the third line was going to result in Gallant really leaning heavily on the top six and not giving the third line that many minutes. And, and quite frankly, if you look at the minutes on a game-to-game basis, Gallant is not playing the third line as much as I think they deserve to be played because not only have they been producing offense, but I think they've been very committed to the straight line game. I think they've been playing more fast and decisive than I've seen them at any previous point in any of these three players' short careers so far. And you're seeing the back checking. You're seeing the commitment to defense. The faceoffs have been an issue. Heedle got annihilated in the faceoff circle in the first two games. He's been slightly better in the last three, but I think he's still like in the 30s uh, percentage-wise for this series. So faceoffs have been an issue. It's pretty clear that you can't feel too comfortable sticking them out there for an important defensive zone draw or something along those lines. But they've earned more minutes because they are playing their butts off and they're doing a lot of the things that Gallant is asking them to do. They're they're shooting without hesitation. They're back checking. They're forechecking. They're they're playing fast. Lafreniere, to me, we've talked about his skating before. Hedl's obviously a plus skater. Kako, not really so much. Lafreniere looks faster to me in this series. I don't know if you guys are picking up on that as well, but that line, you got to give them a ton of credit. I said this on SNY last night. No matter what happens in this series. Moving forward, the way that those three young forwards, three young forwards that the Rangers are supposed to be building around, have performed in these playoffs and stepped up in these pressure moments, that's a huge positive. Probably the number one positive for the Rangers moving forward. I also think you can group Keandre Miller into that conversation. I think he's been really good for the Rangers for the most part. Now, they've had their struggles against the Crosby line, as we know, but... Keandre Miller, I think, has really responded well to a heavy workload in this series. So you've got these young guys who are stepping up and playing really well for the Rangers. And I think Gallant needs to consider giving them more ice time for game six. Now, on the other hand, the fact that that has been your best line, what does that tell you about the guys who are supposed to be your best players? 
Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, and Chris Kreider, quite simply, have not been good enough in this series. Now, we'll see what happens with Crosby. We know Zibanejad's line has been largely responsible for matching up with them, and that's been forcing them to play more defense than ideally you would like. But it's on them to seize control of the puck, to create some offensive zone time in their own right. Just because you're playing against Crosby doesn't mean you need to be on your heels the whole time. You need to take the game to them. You need to forecheck better. You need to defend better. And you need to control possession of the puck more and create more chances. So the Rangers, if they go down in this series, I think you're going to have to point the finger first and foremost at their top players. These guys have not been as consistently dynamic as they were in the regular season. And specifically, I'm talking about Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, and Ryan Strom. Andrew Kopp has had his moments. He's got, I believe, three goals in the series. I think Frank Vetrano has shown a good willingness to shoot the puck more often, at least than a lot of the other top six guys. But your key guys need to be the driving forces of this team, and they have not been to this point. So really, especially going into a hostile building in Game 6 in Pittsburgh, you got to look at those top forwards to step it up because you can't, as much as you love seeing the kids play well, you can't over-rely on them. The, The other guys need to play better. They need to generate more offense. And that, to me, is going to be one of the main keys for the Rangers moving forward in the series, along with being more consistent on that forecheck. I, I haven't been able to get a firm answer from anybody on why the assertiveness that we saw from the Rangers in the early going in game one hasn't quite shown up at the same level in any game since. They were flying, I thought, in that first period of game one, and it just it hasn't quite been the same. Now, they lost Barclay Goudreau. Some of you probably saw... I reported earlier in the week that I've heard from multiple sources now that it's a broken left ankle, so it could be a while before you see him again. It's possible if they go on a run, he could return at some point. You know, I don't know exactly how severe the the fracture is in that ankle, but we saw him block a shot in game one, played through it for the rest of the game, which is just incredible and shows you how tough that guy is. But moving forward, the Rangers are going to have to plan to be without him, I think, for at least a decent amount of time. And, you know, losing him hurts. He's one of your best four checkers. He's one of your big energy guys. But I don't think that's an excuse for the whole roster to just stop doing it. So you need the big guys to score. You need the four check to be better. And last but certainly not least, the biggest question for me going into game six is Igor Shesterkin, which, listen, it's crazy we're even saying that because earlier today he was announced as a Hart Trophy finalist. He was also announced a couple days ago as a Vesna Trophy finalist, and he's going to run away with that award. As we all know, he has been, as everybody on the team has pointed out, their backbone throughout this entire season. But let's call it what it was. The defense was bad in those games in Pittsburgh, no doubt. So it is, it is very unfair to place all the blame on Igor, and that's not what I'm trying to do here. But let's call a spade a spade as well. He got rattled, especially in game four. He let in goals that you have become accustomed to seeing him stop. When the Rangers were playing poorly earlier in the season, but winning, it was because Igor was bailing them out in a lot of those situations. So it it might be an unfair standard that we're holding him to, but the fact is that we've seen him make saves in these situations where there are defensive breakdowns in the past, and he's not doing it now. So... 
Game five was better. He gets the win. He makes 30 saves. I didn't think there were that many wow moments for him. I thought the Rangers played a much cleaner game defensively. So he wasn't tested a whole lot. And and you could look at the Gensel goal, even really both Gensel goals, not great for him, especially the first one. But those games in Pittsburgh, folks, let me tell you, those Penguins fans were riding him. Before the game even started, they were chanting, Igor, Igor. And then he gets pulled. In the first game, he got pulled after the first period. In the other game, he got pulled after the second period. And the fans, as soon as the Rangers come out and they realize that Georgiev is in net, they're chanting, we want Igor. They were, they were on top of him. Give those fans credit. They, they were loud. They were proud. They were really into it. And they were not afraid to try to, to rattle Igor. And I can't sit here definitively and tell you that they got to him, but something got to him because he, he was not good enough on either of those two games. So now we go back to Pittsburgh for game six. And I feel like the biggest question is, is he going to come out with a motivated effort? Is he going to play his best and shut them up? I could easily see that happening. We know how ultra motivated this guy is and how focused he is and how good he can be when he's on his game. But you also have to wonder, is stepping back in that building? He's been pulled twice there. He has not been able to make it through either of the games that they've played there so far. Are there going to be doubts? Because you know that the the fans are going to be wondering and the fans are going to be doubting whether he's going to be able to get through that game. But is he going to be able to overcome that? Or are those doubts going to creep back in? And is this going to be a game where the Rangers have to worry about him again? I, I don't know what the que- what the answer to that question is. Like I said, I think there's a lot of reasons to be confident that he's going to bounce back. But I felt that way going into game four and look what happened. So... You need Igor to be to, to be back to his usual self, if not at the very top of his game, at least close to it. You need Mika, Artemi, Chris Kreider, Ryan Strom. You need those guys to play better. And you need to be in their face on the forecheck and make sure you're not spending as much time in your defensive zone. So those, to me, are the keys for Game 6. And here's the thing about Game 6. If the Rangers can find a way to win that game, I think they're going to win the series. You could, you could make an argument, I think, given Igor's struggles in that building, that the Penguins are the favorite in Game 6. So it's going to be a really tough battle for the Rangers. It, it's certainly going to be no easy task to go back to Pittsburgh and get a win. The Penguins, at this point, still have the upper hand in the series. They only have to win one game. The Rangers have to win two. At that point, it would mean winning three in a row. But If they find a way to win game six and you're going back to MSG for game seven, all the momentum is in their favor. And then at that point, I'm switching my pick back to, I've been going back and forth. I picked Rangers before the series. Now you feel like the Penguins have the upper hand. But if if game six is won by the Rangers, I think I would be all in feeling like the Rangers have the upper hand going into game seven. That's how it feels. And I'm sure a lot of you feel that way as well. Everybody around the league knows it. Game six is huge. It's as big as it gets. So that's why I'm glad we're recording the podcast today because we're able to preview that. We're able to digest game five. Also got to give really quick hat tip before I jump out of here because I got to get ready for practice. But really quick hat tip to Ryan Lindgren. What a gutsy performance from this guy to come back and play in game five. There was a chance we thought he might play in game four. But those of you who follow me on Twitter saw what I was saying. He came out for the morning skate Monday morning in Pittsburgh and 
it just did not look right. He he did not once really open it up and skate hard or go full speed. Just looked like he was moving very gingerly. And me and the other reporters who were watching were all like, you know, is this guy really ready to play? Obviously he wasn't because he didn't play in game four. So then they come back to New York. He does not practice with the team on Tuesday, which to me was an indication he's probably not going to play in game five. But before the game, Gallant told us, He's going to give it a go in warm-ups to see how he feels. We might dress seven defensemen as a backup plan, which they did. But Patrick Nemeth only touched the ice for 16 seconds. You guys know, well, I'm sure we'll end up talking about Nemeth at some point. But Nemeth is clearly the odd man out, and deservedly so. He has not been good in the series. Justin Braun has been better than him. And so clearly Braun is now one of the top six guys, whether Lindgren's healthy or not. But Lindgren returning, I thought, also gave them a boost. And what a gutsy effort from him. You know he's not 100%, but he went out there, I thought had a really steady, solid game, was physical, looked like he was skating okay, all things considered, with that lower body injury, and I know, I know that gave the Rangers a huge boost. Lindgren is a big glue guy for them, loved in that locker room, and and that was another, I think, key point of this game that I definitely wanted to mention before we move on. So with that, let's shift. I've got to run to practice. I'll come back from practice in a little while. I'll solicit some questions from you guys, and we'll dive into a whole bunch of them in the final segment. All right, folks, I am back from practice, and we have a little bit of a precarious situation right now because the missus is out. The baby is napping. I have the monitor here on my right-hand side, Keeping an eye on it, I turned the volume off. So the nap's been going for a little while. Could wake up at any minute. Hoping he'll be a trooper if he does while we're still recording. But right now, fingers crossed, things are clear. Uh, I turned the volume down, so I'm just going to have to make sure I look every once in a while. Don't totally forget about the little guy. But he's he's pretty chilly. He has some fun in the crib. So I think he's going to be all right. As for practice, it was a short one, as they have been all playoffs. Gallant keeps them out there for like 20 minutes during these uh, practices during the playoffs. And this one was an optional, so it wasn't fully attended. What he's been doing a few times in the series, especially before games in Pittsburgh, if they practice the day before, he makes it an optional. And he gives the guys their choice of either practicing the day before or if they choose not to do that, then they have to show up for the morning skate the next day. Now, last time, a lot of guys showed up for practice, very few for the morning skate. It looks like that's what it's going to be again because this was a pretty well-attended practice today on Thursday. The biggest note to come out of that is that Tyler Mott is back. Not fully back as in 100% in the lineup. We won't know that for sure until tomorrow. I have my doubts, but we've been wrong about this stuff before. He, this was his first practice with the team in over a month. He sustained the injury on April 7th. Today is May 12th. So it's hard to think that a guy would be fully prepped and ready to go based on just one practice. He has been skating for roughly a week, maybe a little bit more on his own. And as I mentioned, these practices are really short, not super high intensity. So on the other hand, you could argue, well, he's not really going to get a full hour-long practice where they're banging and he's getting ready for a game that way. So maybe you do throw him into the fire if you feel that he's healthy enough. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate too much. We'll find out that answer 
probably not to warm-ups because Gallant is already calling him a game-time decision, but that's big news for the Rangers. I see some of the Twitter questions already that want me to address what that impact could be, so I won't dive too deep into that now, but that was definitely the most encouraging sign for the Rangers today. The other thing that I want to briefly touch on, because we did speak to Jacob Truba today, is that the league or the Department of Player Safety has opted not to discipline Truba in any way, whether it be a fine or a suspension for his role in Crosby's injury. So for me watching the hit, especially now that I've reviewed the replay and I know a lot of you guys have looked at the freeze frames and all that kind of stuff, it does look like more of an incidental thing. You see Truba extend his stick to try to swat the puck away. He doesn't look like he's necessarily looking for the hit. I mean, we've seen this guy put the shoulder down and run through some people and and you know cause some real damage with the way that he hits and the force that he hits with. And, and I do think that Truba is one of the best in the NHL as far as his form and his technique on these hits. And I think a lot of them are clean. We've seen him have some big momentum-changing hits this season, and very rarely has he been disciplined or even called a penalty on because he, he's really good at it. So I think that that needs to be said. But the other thing is looking at this play, it's it, it doesn't even necessarily look like he's full bore going for the hit. He tries to play the puck with his stick. The stick, as he said, got caught in between Crosby's legs and and twisted awkwardly. And it sort of like forced his arm up. So it makes it look like he's kind of extending that elbow, which he does. But I think that was more of the result of, of where his stick ended up and just that awkward twisting motion that they ended up in. And even with that, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of head contact, maybe a little bit but it was more body contact. And I've spoken to a few people about this, including asking the Rangers. Now, obviously, you know that they're going to have their own biased opinions, but the the league did not decide to do anything to Truba, and I personally think it was the right call. As I mentioned in the first part of the show, we've talked a lot about officiating back and forth, and you know now what you see is the opposite. Rangers fans were up in arms earlier in the season, and honestly, I think when you look back, and the more people I've talked to about that controversial goal that was waved off from Heedle in game one, actually one of our listeners, I I don't have the name in front of me, I wish I did, sent me a screenshot of the portion of the NHL rulebook where it actually does say that you need conclusive evidence to overturn the call. So that makes me lean a little bit more in the direction of that goal should have stood, if I'm being quite honest with you guys, especially the more that I've digested it and talked to more people. I still do believe it was a 50-50 call and certainly nothing egregious. And I feel even more strongly that they got it right in this Truba incident. There was no call for penalty on the ice. I do not believe it was a dirty hit. And, you know, as we've talked about emotional biases from fan bases and all that, what we see now is Penguins fans and even, even some, I don't know if they're bloggers or writers, people are sending me all kinds of stuff. I'm not paying too close attention to who it is. I know our boy Matt Venzel hasn't been one of the vocal people on this, but it seems like a lot of people in in Pittsburgh are questioning the decision not to penalize or suspend Truba. But, you know, again, this 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 is the way that it goes at this time of year. You're so wrapped up in wanting your team to win that when something doesn't go your way, whether right whether you're right or wrong, you're always going to lean in the direction of wanting it to go in favor of your team, and I think that's what we're seeing with the Penguins fans right now. But Truba's not disciplined the big question moving forward is going to be what happens with Crosby. The Penguins are pretty mum on this right now. They're calling it an upper body injury. They're saying in a, in a conference call this morning 
Coach Mike Sullivan said that they were going to wait until they got back to Pittsburgh to further evaluate him. This is going to be one of those things, as you've seen with the Rangers and pretty much every other team around the league, we're not going to get a whole lot of information, I don't believe. And we might not find out whether Crosby is going to play or not until very close to game time. So that's up in the air. But listen, if he doesn't play, you could sugarcoat it all you want if you're Gerard Gallant. That is huge for the Rangers. Not that you want it to happen that way, of course. That goes without saying. But it totally changes the outlook for the Rangers. The Game 5 win was huge for them. That stretch in the second period where they turned the series around. We talked about that already. But... If you go into game six in in Pittsburgh's building with Sidney Crosby in the lineup, there's reasons to not feel great about your chances. But if Crosby is not in the lineup, those chances all of a sudden go way up. I'm not saying it's a shoo-in or a gimme by any stretch. We've seen crazy things happen in this series, in these playoffs. You guys know the deal. Predictions are usually wrong when it comes to this kind of stuff, but it really changes a lot for the Rangers if Crosby is out. So, well, let's see if some of these questions dive into that kind of stuff. I'm going to try to run through them really quick. I'm going to give myself like 15 minutes or so here to try to answer questions and, and keep my eye on the baby at the same time. Let's scroll here a little bit. Let's see. Rift61NYR wrote, Does Heedle's recent performance to hopefully continue beyond this first round have an impact on negotiations with Strom and Cop this summer. I do think it has implications on how the Rangers feel about Heedle moving forward, how much they'll trust him in a middle six kind of role going into next season. But regardless of how good you feel about Heedle, even if you feel like he's trending in the direction of becoming a second line type center for you, you still need another middle six center. So I still believe that whether it's Strom, Cop, or other, that the Rangers are going to need to bring another center in this summer. We've discussed that at length, and we're going to talk about that a lot this offseason. So I'm not going to go into the nuances so much. But I will say this. Based on what I've seen in these playoffs so far, if all things are equal, I, I think I'm giving Cop an upper hand right now. I don't think Strom has had a great series. I don't think Cop has been, you know, he scored the first three games in a row, which looks really good on paper. I don't think he's been super consistent either. I really don't think any of the guys in the top six have been, but I do think that Cop has been better than Strom. And when you factor in the penalty killing and some of the other stuff that he does, I think he looks like the more valuable player at this point in time. But Heedle, listen, we've talked about him before. My fear if I was the Rangers would be This guy has so much ability, such a good skater. The skill is there. I've been around him for three years now. He's a big, strong dude. You could see a lot of things to like just in terms of his physical traits. And at some point that might click. And the last thing you want if you're the Rangers is for that to click elsewhere. And I think what Heedle and the rest of that kid line has done a really good job of in this series is, is keeping it simple. You're seeing him use that speed in that straight line way that Gerard Gallant wants him to use it. And Gallant brought this up again today after practice. The two of them had a conversation at some point late in the season when Heedle was struggling and Gallant made it clear you have all the skill. I want you to be, a, he said, more competitive player. And I think Heedle's showing you right now that he can do that. I think you see him on the four check. You've seen him throw a few hits, which has not usually been in his arsenal. And I'm not saying he should become that kind of a player. For him to really break out, he's going to be a speed and skill guy. 
but you have to like a lot of the stuff you're seeing and, and you feel like he's been a forceful presence all over the ice so far in this series. And that is a huge, huge plus for the Rangers moving forward. All right, let's keep going here. Sam Erickson wrote, what's been up with Mika? Out of any of our top guys, he seems to be the most flat-footed with no hustle, very nonchalant in his skating. Sam, I'm going to disagree with you there. Mika plays his butt off all the time. I, I, I agree with you that he has not been great in this series, and we talked about the tough role that he's had defending Crosby. And he's losing that battle. There's no doubt about it. He is not on the Sidney Crosby level. We are seeing that in this series. But I never question Mika's effort. Mika, to me, is one of the guys, I think, that plays harder than most guys on the team. I think Mika consistently, defense, offense, neutral zone, all over the ice. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't think he's trying hard enough. I do wonder now, with Crosby being out, I think that Mika is the guy who stands to benefit from that more than anybody in the Rangers lineup. And I should backtrack. I don't remember exactly how I just said that, but we don't know for sure if Crosby is out. But if he is out, I think Mika stands to be the guy who would benefit from that the most. Doesn't have a goal through five games in this series, and it's not all about scoring goals, but at the same time, I just pulled up the numbers for a story I wrote today. They've been outscored in this series, whether it's against Crosby or whoever else, by a margin of two to seven at even strength. So that is simply not good enough from your top line. So Mika needs to be better. I think Kreider needs to be better. And I specifically asked Chris Kreider about this today because the two guys we spoke to were him and Truba. I asked Chris to evaluate the performance of his line and his own performance. And I thought Chris's answer was pretty telling. Chris is a pretty deep thinker, as we've talked about before. I'm going to read this this answer to you guys right now. He, he said, It's a funny sport that we play sometimes. There's a duality to it. It's a game of inches. If one of our chances goes in, maybe one of their chances doesn't, and the narrative flips. That tells you right there. He, he knows the narrative right now is that they're getting burned by Crosby's line. And he's saying that if they could have made one more play here or one more play there which in turn would take away from a play that the Crosby line could make, then maybe they have more momentum on their side. Maybe they're feeling better about themselves. Maybe they're playing better overall. He goes on to say, for us, it's continuing to try to do the right things, support each other, talk and work through it and work for our chances. I'm a big proponent of the harder you work, the luckier you get. Their first line certainly has worked for their bounces and we need to work for hours. Now, Chris is calculated with what he says, but he's saying that his line needs to work harder. So you know what, Sam? Maybe that does play a little bit into what you're saying right now. But I, again, I don't look at it like Meek is not playing hard enough. But I do think that there are areas where they need to up their game specifically by not just sitting back on their heels and playing defense for the whole game. They need to take the play to the Penguins. They need to gain possession. They need to gain offensive zone time and create consistent pressure. Cycle the puck. Keep it in your hands for longer than the short period of time that we've seen it. And and don't spend more time in your defensive zone. Your, Your top line is supposed to be a line that forces the other team to stay in their defensive zone for a long time. And I think what Kreider is saying is they need to do a better job of giving themselves chances creating bounces their way and working hard to make that all happen. So I guess that might contradict a little bit 
what I said to you, Sam, but I still am not going to sit here and tell you that I don't think Meek is trying hard enough because that, that to me is not something I would question with him. I just think that it looks bad because they're being outplayed and they need to figure out ways to play better. All right, let's keep going here. Chris Morin wants to know, will the podcast be coming back next season? Chris, of course. The podcast will be going in the offseason, too. I'm probably going to take a few weeks at some point to catch my breath. But once we get into free agency and draft and all that stuff, we'll be cranking them out, and we'll certainly be here for next season. So don't worry about that. Let's keep going. A couple of hair comments. I think these SNY videos are uh, making the hair get a little more attention. I, I'll tell you guys, I think I'm, I don't even remember if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but my plan once the season ends and I complete my move because we just bought a new place and my fiance is being super patient with me because we haven't been able to fully move in yet. But once the dust is settled and the season's over, whether it be this weekend or whether it be at the end of June, and then we get the move done, I'm planning to cut it all off because this is too damn hot to keep this hair for the full summer, and I'd like to donate it. So if you guys have any suggestions for a good place to donate it, I've done St. Baldrick's, which is a hospital for children's cancer in the past. I had long hair in my 20s and donated it when I decided to take it off then. And I, if I can do it, I'd like to put it toward a good cause this time as well. So suggestions definitely hit me up with those. Josh M. wants to know, hi, Vince. Do you think the reason you guys haven't gotten to talk to Igor since game two is that he's playing through injury since getting bowled over by Carter? He was down for a while after that hit and has been a bit off. Josh, I have to tell you, I do not think that that is it because actually after that game was the last time that we spoke to Igor. So he was he was well enough to talk to us that night and he has not spoken since. I, I tweeted about this today and listen, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, I don't really care if he talks or not. It affects, I'm sure, the writers in some ways more than it does the fans. But we've also talked about this on the show before when it came to, for example, a guy like Alexi Lafreniere standing up after he had been scratched or after he had been benched during a game and, and taking accountability for that. And I personally do believe that accountability matters. Now, I don't want to pin this on Igor because it would not surprise me at all if this was the Rangers not wanting him to talk to shield him from what they perceive as tough questions because we all know what happened in games three and four. He got pulled in both of those games, did not play well. The Pittsburgh fans were riding him hard and it was just a bad situation. So it's very possible that they are saying, listen, we'd rather not have you out right there right now focus on your game, and let's leave it at that. It's also possible that he's saying to them, hey, I really don't want to talk right now. I don't know which it is, so I'm not going to speculate. It's peculiar, though, from this standpoint. On Tuesday, he was announced as a Vesna Trophy finalist. We asked to talk to him. They said no. And on Thursday, he was announced as a Hart Trophy finalist. We asked to talk to him. He said no. Any other players who are active right now who were announced for one of those awards spoke that day. I, I can't verify that for sure, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that those teams would want to make those players available. I just think it's, it's not a great look from the standpoint of look at, and I don't like making these comparisons as far as the stuff that goes on the ice because I don't always think it's fair. But off the ice, look at the way that Henrik Lundqvist operated. 
Win, lose, draw, whatever happened. Anytime he played, he spoke. He knew that it was important to be at his locker and either answer questions about how well he played or I think some would argue even more importantly, when you're not playing well, it's important to answer questions. Now, this isn't do or die stuff. This is sports. Like, it's not the end of the world. It's not like we're going to relentlessly hammer him and have no sympathy for what he might be going through emotionally or mentally if he had a bad game. But we also have every right, I believe, to ask ask questions and hear his point of view. Why do you think you didn't play so well? What's going on? Did, you know, did the crowd get to you? Is there anything you need to fix technique-wise? Now, Igor is not going to dive too deep into that from what we've seen. But I think that you guys deserve to know that we haven't had a chance to talk to him when we've been asking for it. Whether you think that's a big deal or not is entirely up to you. It's not the end of the world to me, but I also think that it's worth noting. And so that's why I decided to tweet it today. And I know, you know, I'm sure I think some other writers like Molly in particular, Walker from the New York Post had mentioned to me that, that you know, she was going to say something as well. So it's it, it's not us trying to kick and scream or complain or anything like that. But it's something that I think in an ideal world, you know, let people come out and talk after the game which, you know, comes down to not having the locker room access, which we've talked about before. And and I just don't really understand the motivation behind shielding guys from situations where, listen, you're not going to be lights out every game. That's just the reality of this. But, you know, being a professional is also part of the gig is speaking to the media. And I know not everybody likes doing that as much as others, but, you know, we're not here to bite for the most part. At least I can speak for myself. I'm not trying to bite or anything like that. But, you know, it helps us do our job. And more importantly, it helps communicate to the fans. And you guys as paying customers, as people who are loyal and live and die with this stuff, I think you deserve to hear from these players as well. So that's my little two cents on that. Again, uh, I don't I don't begrudge you if you don't care. <laughs> and I certainly understand if you're sitting there saying, well, that's your problem, not man, not mine. All right, let's see where else we have to go. Let's do one more. Baby's starting to oh, he's starting to move a little bit. Uh-oh. Oh, I know what I want to address. I saw one in here about Mott. Yeah, that, that's where we'll finish. Okay. NHL FNA Gamer? I don't know, something, whatever. NHL something gamer. <laughs> Wants to know... My opinion on the impact of Mott on the fourth line, if made available. Well, I think it's pretty big, especially given what we've seen based on the loss of Barclay Goudreau. We talked earlier about how that aggressive forecheck that we saw in game one has sort of disappeared. Not completely disappeared, but definitely faded since that first game, and, and the one thing that you could point to that's different as far as the lineup is concerned is that Gaudreau hasn't been playing. Mott gives you a lot of those elements. He's a little bit smaller than Gaudreau, but he's a faster skater, and that dude works his tail off in all three zones, relentless. And, and that is why the Rangers wanted him. They looked at their bottom six, and, and you know, especially from that fourth line, they want guys who are going to, check and hustle and get to the front of the net and and make opponents pay for for making decisions where, where they might you know have the puck in a vulnerable position or defend really really hard ideally be guys you can use on the penalty kill 
Mott fits all of that, and he does it better than the current guys that they are using. So being able to slide Mott in, presuming he's healthy, would all of a sudden enable you to have Mott at left wing, probably. I think Kevin Rooney would remain in there at center, and then you would have the option at right wing of Ryan Reeves. I think my my gut would tell me that that's where Gallant would lean. Gallant's been pretty loyal to Reeves, and I think that his preference is to keep him in the lineup. Even if he doesn't play a whole lot, I think it just makes Gallant and the whole team feel a little secure knowing that he's there if needed. But if you decide that you need to turn up the speed game a little bit, you could go to Dryden Hunt. You could go to Johnny Brodzinski, who are both plus skaters, and then you've got two fast guys coming down the wing with Kevin Rooney in the middle, who now, especially with Goudreau out, him and Andrew Kopp have been the top penalty killers. Although, you know, Mott now would factor into that as well. So I definitely think it would give the lineup a boost. I wouldn't look at it as completely changing the complexion of the lineup. But, but the main thing that I would look for from Mott, if he does come back into the lineup, is getting that forecheck going back to the level that it was in game one. I think that if... if I were Gallant, and I'm pretty sure this would be the conversation that he would have with Mott. That would be my mission for for Tyler Mott is ignite the forecheck. And I think that Mott would be the ideal guy to do that if you can get him back in the lineup. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see what happens from here. I'll be back next week one way or the other. Will we be talking about a second-round series and a Rangers comeback? in the first round against the Penguins? Or will we be wrapping up the season, looking ahead to the offseason, what went right, what went wrong, all that kind of stuff. Either way, it's going to be a jam-packed show. Hoping to have a guest on next week one way or the other. I hope you guys understand this week was just way too crazy for me to try to navigate all that. So at least we got to talk, or I got to talk, and hopefully you guys enjoyed listening. And I will keep you posted about the details for next week, but we'll definitely have an episode. And until then, enjoy the hockey. Keep those stress levels manageable, and I will talk to you guys soon.